Dr. Spanger, we're back. All right. It's been a bit of a hiatus. We're back Glad by popular demand. Yeah. Uh, I've been yelled at by a number of our students <laughs> who want to know why we haven't done anything on the uh, what's going on in the Middle East now. They're lost. They yeah. don't know what to do. They're waiting not, for us to fill in to for them. them. Yeah. Uh, apparently, you know, Fox and MSNBC <laughs> aren't clearing it up for them. Are you so they saying that they're too biased? That people aren't paying attention? Uh, to what I'm they say? saying that you know, it's funny you bring that up. I I've asked some of our students what is the general thought about politics yeah. in their generation? And a lot of them say that, that they're interested in political issues, but when it comes to political parties, they you know don't know who to trust. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. news media, they don't know who to trust. Well, that's that's an all-time low across the board. Yeah, really. and yeah. so uh, I think the 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 uh, dressing down I received was part <laughs> love and part... Tough love. Tough I, love. I'm trying to sort this out, yeah. and, and I would really appreciate you guys talking about this. I've sure. had Dr. Spanger's class on the Middle East and, yeah. uh, you know, I've heard you talk about dispensationalism <laughs> and those two always get connected. Right. Uh, or so, in Bible college after all. Exactly. And, and I'm sure there's plenty of dispensationalists who've got their charts. The oh dust has blown oh. off. Hey, it's been, it's been a while since those it charts have made It has been since we were yeah. kids. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you and I talked about this even just before this. I, I think in America, at least, if you grew up in the dispensational world, and yeah. of course for our kids, they're in LBC, they're all born at, after 2000. Right. So after the left behind thing, right. kind of really. Yeah, the, uh, but if you grew up in that before it. area, it seems like every time you know Israel gets indigestion, right. uh, your alarms go up, right? right? Because of how that, that eschatology was created. Right. Uh, and so I think even people who are not necessarily even Christian That's or right. this has been such a th uh, popular conversation. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when someone like Charles Ryrie can become a millionaire <laughs> off of his commentary Bible, the Ryrie Study Bible, and 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 C.I. Schofield's Study Bible keeps yeah. Harvard or uh, Oxford University Press in business during the Depression. <laughs> right. A lot of people have consumed a lot of yeah. conversation about Israel and end times right. and, and that type of thing and. So I think that's always no. It's true. And what's what's funny now, and I, I would say this when I first started teaching that course, and there was really conflict. It was exactly that. Students came because they were, in fact, we used to teach it in two parts, where someone from the Bible department would come in and talk about eschatology. Oh, right. yeah, Interesting. For those first two weeks. Interesting. And then I would take over the history part, and that switched eventually. But students would be interested because they're always asking the question, so what does this mean for Israel? Yeah. yeah. Now, it's interesting. Students aren't asking that question. They're not. No. They've, they've got this post-colonial view. Hey, wait a minute. Why is Israel doing what it's doing? So it's, it's almost 180 degrees different on the assumption. Yeah. The assumption first is... Who's trying to hurt this, you know, the nation of Israel as set out by the yeah. prophecies? And now yeah. it's, wait a minute, why is Israel doing this to, to Palestinians? So they've, yes. you can see the switch in what students have been raised on, even Christian students. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, one pre-mill and now one more social interest, socially interested, yes, really. Yes, yes. Well, and I think uh, we've learned, too, uh, teaching here that um, ch evangelical churches probably aren't preaching yeah. revelation sermons with the same... Right. amount of frequency as it was when we were right. kids and right. learning charts in youth group, right. which surprises our kids. Yeah, that's true. Um, and But I, I did have one student in class who did grow up in a more like that, even though she was born you know, 30 years mm. after us. Mm. And and I said to her, I said, well, you know, Russia's at war, that's Gog, and then I <laughs> yeah, ran right. Magog, and she like rises the up, army for the East is coming in. And I said, the dragon, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and she's like, uh, you know, she just kind of laughed. And I said, but, you know, that's that's some of the conversations people would have, that's right. particularly in the 80s and 90s. That's right. uh, but you're right, dispensational eschatology doesn't have, doesn't capture the imagination no. in the same way right. 
it did when we were kids. No, that's true. And I and I when I talked to students, we looked at just the just the development of religious history. Without putting Christian words on it, a lot of the students have bought into already a post-millennial view. Interesting. Without calling it that, there's a secular. In fact, students. I remember when when the Ukraine thing first broke out, just you know, just as as Putin marched in, I was having a conversation with college students, and one student leaned over his desk towards the front of the classroom and said. This this shouldn't happen to twenty first century. I thought we were. I thought and convinced yes. we were over this. And I, I said that's interesting. You say that because a secularist wouldn't use this term, but that's a post mill view. That what we've done is we've matured as a human race to the point where we don't do these evil things. Arthur Pink at Harvard, you know, we're we've matured. Yeah, isn't so it we a don't bit do of that the end anymore. of history? I think it is. is it a bit of Fukuyama. Right, it is. But I, and I think that's where and I Are think Bible college kids reading Fukuyama. No. Not telling us about it. <laughs> well, no, but you know what it is. I mean, in the secular world, this idea of right side of history yes. has convinced them. Right? Very Hegelian. We, yeah, we've right. We've you know Darwin, Marx, Hegel. We have progressed beyond this point. So now I think what our students, the real crisis they have in their minds, is to yeah. say. This shouldn't be happening. Yeah. We as humans don't act this way anymore. And then yeah. I usually have a student in class I designate as Mr. Masin, and I say, there's a reason why, regardless of humanity's best efforts, we always end up here. And I point to the student, and they say, sin. They know when I cue them, yeah. that's the word. Because that's a, that's a humanistic post-millennialism. Interesting. And we shouldn't, be, and I always try to tell students when we study history, don't be surprised. This stuff's going to happen again, yes, right? Yes, yes, It's just we've been in a lull for geopolitical reasons. Yeah. Post-World War II, the American century. There's reasons this has all been capped. Yeah, sort of Pax Americana. Right, it really has been. In the first world, now in the third world, there's been a lot of bloodshed. Absolutely. But in the first world, it's been kept very calm because of that. Well, that era is coming to an end. Yeah. And as Pax Americana comes to an end, this sort of thing is going to start impacting the first mm -hmm. world in very new ways. Mm -hmm. and, and a student mm -hmm. asked me in class the other night, trying to talk through this, is this the beginning of World War III? And I said, no, I, that's an overstatement. But the geopolitical piece that's been hammered, like sewn together yeah. at, in 1945, I think is crumbling right yes, now. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't know that we end up in war on the backside of this. but I'm not sure you can have a World War III without nuclear holocaust right, at right, this point. Right. I mean, uh, my when I was at Temple uh, back in the, the day, um, there was a famous um, military historian there named Russell Wigley. Hmm. Uh, wrote some, a book, very uh, popular book called The American Way of War. Hmm. Uh, and, and he had a thesis, and I, and I still use it. I think he was smart. In many ways, the the atomic bomb of Hiroshima has kept the Cold War cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during Pax Americana, right? Because the only thing that kept the Russians and the Americans from tearing each other apart right. was the threat of nuclear annihilation. Right. right. Uh, and I think that was even after the fall of the Soviet Union, right? That was the big fear. Right. What's happened to these nuclear weapons and Ukraine and, yeah. and all of this sort of stuff? So. Yeah, that was that was a real concern, uh, but you're right. I ran into the same thing. Uh, you know, I students would say to me, "I'm just surprised. I thought we didn't do this." Right. Anymore. We and I said, this. "Well, what do you think about like when Dr. Spanger and I teach you about 1945?" Or like, "Well, those pictures were black and white." <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. a whole different world. Yes, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's it's almost like it's not real. Right. Uh, I said, what do you think we're making this up? Did we just, you know, they said, no, we believe you. I said, well, good. I'm it glad to hear that. World. You know, we didn't Photoshop Matthew Brady's images of Gettysburg. <laughs> right, right. But you're right. There, yeah, There yeah. is that sort of thing. And again, I think where we are today with very bright students that I get to engage yeah. with, when I ask them about some of this, they're like, I don't know what to believe. Yeah. I, I, I get this. I get this. Right. And, you know, and I, and I said, I get that, guys. I mean, when I was a kid in Philly... Uh, when you were in New York, uh, in Philly, uh, you had the Philadelphia Bulletin, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Daily News. Right. And if you thought you were better than somebody, you read the New York Times. Right, right. And if you had money, you read the Wall Street Journal. And 
but we all kind of read the same newspapers, right? right? We all knew the Republic, the, the, the bulletins were more conservative, Inquirer a little more progressive, and the Daily News was good for sports, and that was it. Right. Uh, but you had those conversations. Hey, did you catch that story in the bullet? Did you catch that story in the right. Inquirer? Uh, you know, did you catch that story in the Post? Right. Um, now, you can't even assume everybody's yeah. consuming the same news or the same truth yeah, about right. the news yeah, because right. they're listening to some underground site or yeah. Alex Jones or whatever. That's right. That's right. Right? No, that's true. And I think that what the what the casualty, I mean, there's lots of casualties you can point out, but the casualty of all of this is that now news exists for politics. And so now it's not just that the news organs themselves are picking political winners and losers or using their political bent, right, to determine what stories they tell. But students are now, to navigate that space, most people are saying, which one of these politically suits me? And so you're actually starting to believe stories because, so in other words, if you're more progressive on this, you're looking for Israel to be at fault here and this to be a post-colonial problem. So it's not just that the news are talking that way. The, the consumer is now weeding out the news they find to be rational. Oh, that talks about this is Hamas is evil. They just don't read those those news stories anymore, yes. right? They, they're filtering now by politics. Well, or the algorithm's doing it for you. Yeah, quite possibly, right? I mean, it's the because the this, this is one of the differences that I, I try to help students see um, is is uh, newspapers, that dying art. Yeah, or dead art. Passive technology. Yeah. We had to go to the newsstand yeah, and yeah. pick one out. That's right. Uh, and we got to choose. Yeah. I think I'll get the bulletin this week. You know what? I think I want to think a little smarter today. I'll get the New York Times, <laughs> right? I want to read it at eighth grade reading level. Or, yeah, or you know, right. you pick, you could, you know, especially if you lived in a big city, you could read newspapers from all yeah. over the place, uh, or, or different political bents. Yeah. Now you subscribe to a social media feed, and yeah, they just the, the AI starts to see. Well, every time this angle shows up, you seem to glance at this one a little longer than you do. Right. Something that would have normally been in Mother Jones. Right. So I'll give you more of that. Yeah. And because the algorithm is not concerned with information discernment and, 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 and spreading information, right. it's concerned with keeping you online. Because yeah, that's, right. that's how they make right. money. So, so Where the yeah. newspaper is concerned with you buying their paper right. and therefore they have a market and this type yeah. of thing. The algorithm is, is sort of neutral in that right. way. Well, and it's funny. It might be the way you're saying it that way. It might be the fact that people are choosing by how long they linger on something to decide what they actually want to listen and they start filtering out. And I think where students come to us is yep. now, now the result is that the media is entirely wedded right yep. to that sort of viewership. Yep. Yep. So now you do ask yourself, how do I know what I'm getting? Exactly. Yeah. And um, well, students are asking good I, questions. Is there any original thought if everybody's writing everything yeah. with AI? Yeah, right. Well, that Which too, is yeah. just filtering through. Yeah. So, well, um, and then what's the facts, right? And they want to know what's the facts. Exactly. What's and going so, on and what's the history? And, and, and I think for... For, for Christians, the, the first question, how do we think Christianly about this? Right. Um, and so, again, I don't think we see the knee-jerk pro-Israel. I think you're right. I think there's the sort of, and not maybe not so much at a conservative Christian college, but definitely we're seeing that at Harvard yeah, and yeah. Penn and sort of a pro. Uh, in it. And again, that's a very, um, that seems to me to be very critical theory. Yeah. Right? It Look for the oppressed. Yeah. Who's the oppressor? Root for oppressed. Yeah. And as long as you can fit them in that algorithm, you're good. Yeah. And, you know, I guess maybe if it was 1948, Israel fits in oppressed and or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's so it's that simple algorithm that actually gets weird political marriages yeah. like queers for Palestine. Yeah. Right. Right. It's because both sides see them or say queer people or whomever see themselves as oppressed. 
they're my allies because right. they're oppressed too. Right. Uh, and they're being oppressed by the yeah. West, colonialism, you name it. Right. And, and so that becomes the way it gets understood. Right. And unfortunately, uh, just taking a sort of big sweep and saying, I'm excited because this might be bringing about the rapture, uh, <laughs> or uh, critical thinking mathematics doesn't get into the minutiae yeah. of what's actually happening in the Middle East. Yeah and doesn't help us understand things like Hamas, uh, the state of Israel, right. uh, and even geopolitically, what's happening in our world today. Yeah. It's, it's a, I love your story, your, your analogy. I've stolen it, but I give you Okay, great, oh, I, get, I got a footnote uh, Is that, you know, a lot of people, when they have simplistic theories, what they really are, hammer salesmen, right. and therefore right. they look for nails everywhere. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they probably want to put nails where they shouldn't. Right. Right, like, yeah, no, you can nail that window in. Right. That'll work just <laughs> fine. Because I just want to sell you a hammer, because right. that's all I know. Right. Uh, all I know are hammers. Right. I don't even know how caulking works. I just know hammers. Right. And it's oversimplistic a bit, but there, it is a helpful analogy if you have right. oversly simplistic worldviews yeah. and theories of everything. Um, well, you can it, fall yeah. into those traps. Well, and I think there was this there was this idea at one time that if you know it's it's honest to say, and this is why I think the word woke matters, right? Everything's political. Let's just admit it is. So if someone says, "Well, I stand for this party," you're just trying to protect your pocketbook. So I'm woke to that now, right? Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. this idea that underlying all the virtues that you want to say publicly are interests that matter to you, and so you're selling things like. So are we virtue. awake to social control theory? <laughs> well, supposedly, I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think okay. that's what the, a lot of the woke say, although. They're just submitting to it in another way, right? Yeah. But I think that, I think where this plays in then is that you're looking for, you're saying, I'm being honest and I'm looking for the real motive behind this, not the fake one. What's surprising in this, in this moment then is they're subjecting the Middle East players, Hamas and Israel, yeah. to the same political metaphors you're using here. Yes. And, and by doing that, actually not making hardly any understanding of actually what's going on. So it's, yeah. I don't think it's honest at all. Maybe honest to say, why do the oil companies want to put up green energy? And okay, well, there might be a profit motive underneath that somewhere. Or they realize they're going to run out of fossil fuel. <laughs> Any number of reasons, right? And you can say being woke is I'm attuned to these interests. So right. if I've right. got an oil uh, specialist writing on energy, I'm not going to trust him because I know where his interests lie. Yeah. What's funny in this moment, in this woke moment in the Middle East, is now in order to get an honest look at what's going on between Hamas and Israel, They've assumed they understand, for political reasons, why Hamas is doing this. Yes. And they think they're being honest. This is about anti-colonialism. Yeah. They don't understand Hamas at all. Right. They, they're projecting this on them because over here, that's so honest. It's, and if you're the, if you're the Hamas social media people, you'll say, thank you. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're very open. Right. We're liberal. Right. We're progressive. We don't like colonialism, too. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. they'll sell the same thing. So, unfortunately, what you're getting now is this group of, you know, well, progressive thinkers, but I think a lot of people are making a mistake. They're trying to impose politics on it to make sense of it. Yeah. And, in fact, muddying the waters to understand it at all. Mm. And now I think people are being dragged down by these narratives and going, wow, yeah. And even students are going, isn't this just them fighting back against colonialism? And the students said that in class. And I said, well... Do you think the trans community, some of them, whoever's supporting Hamas, if they went to Hamas, would be well-received right. by Hamas? <laughs> right, 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 right. No, of course they wouldn't be. They would probably be strung up because that's against the religious laws of Hamas. So but th that's really hard for students who have been saturated in this culture to do because they've been taught to see things politically. They've been taught to see this as a matter of interest and oppression. And they almost have to unwind all of that yeah. to get an honest look at actually what's going on. It's, it's funny you bring that up. I, I had a, a friend years ago uh, um, who was Muslim and found it interesting, bizarre even, that the left liked him. <laughs> you uh, might be surprised by that. And at one yeah. moment, he says, I, I don't get that. 
like, don't they know what we believe? <laughs> and, and, and he said, that doesn't make sense to me. And I said, well, I, I think what it is is uh, you're seen as a post-colonial right. oppressed group. And again, this was long before anyone threw the word woke around. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to make sense of that weird political marriage. Right. Uh, you know, if you're coming from a, col- a place that had been colonized, you're brown then the, 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 the algorithm, the, the formula that, right? says that I have to support you. Right, yeah. uh, and, and we'll try to deal with the other stuff later. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it does get that sort of simplistic, yeah. right? And, and I think the other, the other piece, too, is if people are having these debates in hashtag tweets yeah. or X's or whatever they are now, yeah, yeah. Uh, or worse, TikToks. Um, which are like 30 seconds. And so there doesn't take a, it's very hard to have a deep dive. So if you get a student in a classroom, at least then they're forced to wrestle for 15 weeks or eight weeks, read literature and start to think broadly in this. Well, and I freed my students and we talked about it. I said, just get over the idea that your post is going to solve the problem, right? So don't be under pressure that you have to say the right thing online to get at this. Yeah, nobody, because no one has tried to solve this one. Right, yeah, it's not going to. And the the point is you need to to be wise and you need to think about how complex this is so that you come into this rationally. Because if you don't, you come into this in a way that all of a sudden your view on this, right, is overly simple. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be frustrated at some point. So either you're yep. going to double down on your narrative of this and then find out that you're way off base. Or you're going to have to concede to, okay, this is more complicated than I thought it was. And I think specifically at Christians, we don't want to simplify really complex political problems because then we look at how can we solve it? What's the what's the what's the Christian way to do this? And yeah. that's, that's dangerous. Well, there's not, also American Christianity where we don't like Parad- we don't like uh, sort of unfinished business yeah. in that way, right? Yeah, yeah. We we have dis- we have issue with a paradox yeah. and tensions that you just have to leave there. We want to sort of you solve, want to solve it. it. We're yeah. American. We fix things. Right. That's right. Um, and sometimes it's Christians. American right, Christians. Right application. We fix right. Things. Yeah. We yeah, fix things. Yeah. And that's just so that's, not the way this one's going to land. So maybe we 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 sort of frame this a bit this way. So if we're not uh, just buying into post-colonial oppression. And we're not sitting uh, with our our end time charts on the study table. Bible open, yeah. Yeah, um, and how do we make sense mm-hmm. of this, right? And maybe that's where we right. can provide some historical analysis right. of this, where you know we're not talking in a theological yeah. system way. We're we're not now, although we will have to talk about that because Hamas has that. Yeah, that's um, true. But and we're not talking um, sort of one plus one always equals two. Uh, it's actually far more complex, which yeah. is what we always say about history. It's more complex than you think it is. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I think that's a good way to say it. Let's let's wedge ourselves between the secular post-millennialist yeah. that says this is all getting better, and we know this is just this is a this is a backwards way. If we get rid of colonialism, this will all disappear. If, we, if Israel were not colonial against Hamas, Hamas would never get angry, right? Yeah. Let's let's not assume that post-millennial optimism, and let's not assume the pre-millennial pessimism that somehow. You know, this is um, this is the end times about to start, and you know we're just going to wait till till it all unravels, and then Christ comes back. Of course, what we're waiting for is Christ to come back. So that that does that does, and I think this is where the history thing, which you and I know, this yeah. is where it becomes valuable, is not to confuse, but it's to embrace some of the complexity and to kind of a better sense of why, hmm. so that you can kind of understand where this is going to go. And I think you and I have talked about this and this whole idea that we're navigating or, or we're, um, we're Christians living in, you know, in this world uh, by another kingdom is that wisdom requires us to understand and not necessarily to solve, not yeah. to simplify, not to boil down, but to understand so that we wisely know how to engage, we wisely know how to advise, we wisely yeah. know how to think about ourselves and what to pray for. 
So I think that's our, our motivation in this is yeah, that we yeah. we just kind of deal with some of the complexity so we can understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about Hamas. Yeah, yeah. Right? Who is Hamas? Uh, what's going on there? You, yeah. this, I'm going to kind of interview you here. You teach the class. Right. Um, uh, you know, what is this movement? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's, uh, and one of the things I want to say is, too, is I think part of the, the tension is, too, I think, if you are of one stripe, you see everything, you know, Israel can't do any wrong. Yeah. And then you're of another stripe, Hamas can't do anything wrong. Right. Uh, that's that's problematic as well. Yeah. That's yeah. not thinking Christianly yeah. there. Um, we have to realize this is complicated. But yeah. what Hamas did, right. uh, that's a new, there's no sort of tit for tat, resp- you know, explanation on that yeah. one, right? Yeah. I mean, this was barbarism. This was yeah. a hatchet job. Right. Um, and so we need to be evaluate that as yeah. well. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think I, I think people can misunderstand Hamas largely because of what the media has done with it. Hmm. There's two features, I think, that probably people miss in Hamas. One is that Hamas is not a liberation organization, right? They're a fundamentally religious. And we it's say not radical. The PLO. It's not, right? Al-Fatah, PLO, and the West Bank, although there's going to be some sympathy and there's good reasons to investigate that. Yeah. They're, they're not that way. In fact, you know, really Yasser Arafat couldn't get along with Hamas. And when Hamas won the election in Gaza in 06, it broke the West Bank and them, right? And right. not that they don't support one another against Israel in some cases, but they're very, very different. So, so the enemy of the Arab antage, the Arab enemy of my enemy yeah, is my friend. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think there's there's some union there and they, there's some cachet they can pull at, but they don't agree with one another. So the, and we can explore this, but them coming around the second intifada and how they appeared and what they appeared around Islamic Jihad and some of those religious movements. We call them religious fundamentalist. I, I think they're Islamism is what I tend to use the term. So I think that's one thing to remember, and we can explore that. But then there's another part which we really often forget about Hamas and these radical groups. And I'll go back to Al-Qassam, mm-hmm. who was the guy during World War One that the British finally killed, who started this sort of radical approach to Palestinian independence mm-hmm. or it's a religious pursuit. He and they and Islamic Jihad are the are the champions of social justice in a lot of ways in these spaces not progressively the way we think about in the west yeah. but when these when they go into poor neighborhoods they're the ones that typically bring water electricity and food while they're also waging the war that's going to bring their own communities right to gotcha. into conflict and so what we hear a lot about Hamas is yeah they're going to throw civilians in front as body shields and that that's true because they want to make Israel do the killing yeah and I'm, I'm not saying that's humanitarian in any way but we forget is why does the Muslim on the street in Gaza support Hamas because they're the ones that actually are on the street caring for the poor okay and we forget that from the ground level that's how it appears yeah I'm, I'm not justifying yeah, that yeah, yeah. they're a humane well, organization and also too if you feel oppressed they're your vengeance yeah well they're vengeance right and they're your supply I mean quite yeah. frankly they're the ones that are on the street and you will see Hamas being there there to care for the sick and the poor, not in the way the West would want them under human rights categories. Right. But for the for the people on the street, they are that. So they have a reputation that's bigger than we in the West tend to paint it okay. for that. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah. But Hamas as, Hamas as an organization ultimately is not a political organization. It's a religious organization. Mm. I think we tend to think of it as a government. It's only government secondary to its religious function. Okay. Yeah. It's not there to be a political state like we think largely secular protecting the you know yeah. the Muslim religion. They are predominantly a religious organization mm. that have very profound, um, stringent fundamentalist theology mm-hmm. in life and eschatology that drives them to do these things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and they're Sunni. And they're Sunni. They're Sunni. So but they're they have a very uh, different eschatology right. than 
your typical Sunni Muslim. Right. right. Yeah, it's important to note that I think when, when uh, you know, all, all Muslims who are of a faith believe that there is an end to history the same way that a Christian yep. does. But the, the typically thing, you know, 90, I don't know, pick a number, 90, 95% of Muslims believe, as the neighbor does probably lives next to you if you've got a Muslim neighbor. I've got uh, Bahrainian uh, Shia neighbors, mm -hmm. just wonderful people, mm -hmm. that most of them believe in the eschatology works this way. You, you continue to obey the religion at one point, Allah, if you're Shia, maybe even Christ returns with the 12th Imam, 13th Imam, depending on what Shia you are, right. or Muhammad of some sort returns. At that point with the return, then jihad begins. And jihad is the ultimate cleansing of the world starting in Palestine and the Levant, right? So this area, the Holy Land Levant, that purification starts. Only at that point, the way that Christians think of like Armageddon, when Christ comes back, the, the jihad holy war begins at that point. What changed um, in, uh, after the inter first intifada in the 1980s and then leading into the second was the growth of a jihadi movement. And this comes out, we talk about Muslim Brotherhood and Saeed Qutbah, who was the great Muslim Brotherhood theologian in Egypt who started this, started this thought really very profoundly in the late 20th century, that he and the Islamic Jihad and Hamas reversed the eschatology. This is very important. What they said was, it's not that we wait until Allah does something before, before jihad. Yeah. Allah will only do something once we fight jihad. Mm. So jihad isn't after the moment when Allah begins his mm -hmm. final cleansing. It's what we need to do to welcome Allah back before yeah. the cleansing. He wants to see we're starting the cleansing. Yes, and and this is and Kutba makes this point, as does I think Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Allah, and this is very important for the theology, Allah runs the world. He's totally sovereign. So he's allowed the West to get strong and be successful. Yeah. To beat down Muslims until they're finally obedient again. Oh, so what happens oh, is now they will lose and they will take on Israel and they will get killed and they will get killed, but their persistence is the proof to Allah that they are now ready for the end times. So killing them, in one sense, proves their point that they're holding firm. And uh, you know, some of the, some of the prof prophecies go, it'll be the final Muslim who lives who will then begin this because he's proven that they're going to stand firm in the face so of So killing Jews is a way of proving to Allah that you are working the purge. Yeah, you're working, you're, 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 you're fighting holy war, which is what Allah needs to see before he's willing. So. This sort of inverted eschatology, which is picked up by Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, the Al-Qassam Brigades, um, you know, Hamas, that is not held by most Muslims, right? Most Muslims do not believe that. Yeah. But for those that do, jihad is not an option. And it's, jihad a is, it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a necessity. And the suicide bomber, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yeah, they're driving jihad. So it, it's, it's important to see Hamas using political power, and they've got an office of health, and they've got yes, you know, all, right. these, all these officials that are out there. They're serving a religious view of the world, mm. and they are going to fight this out, whether they plan for a long time and go quiet for a while, or whether they finally get involved and do something that they're doing it now, right. to drive that narrative forward until, you know, they're, they're proven their holiness and their worthiness, and then finally this will right. launch into the reform. So one of the officials said, um, I forget who it was inside the Hamas government, one of the military leaders said, this is not a problem because in a short time we'll be ruling the world from here. Not, and it's not about them ruling the world. It's about Islam, it's Muhammad, Islam. Allah. Right, right. Fine. Well, and so what's, what's scary about this then is you, on one hand, we, we, we talk about, say, Christians yeah. who say, hey, let's get it on. Right. And, and, and maybe this will get the rapture started. Right. Uh, you have Orthodox Jews who might believe, hey, let's get this on so Messiah has to come back. Yeah. Uh, and now you have... A version as of Islam who's saying, hey, let's get it going. Right. Allah will come back. And, and, and so 
this is a very different dynamic right. than even uh, America fighting the Germans in World War II. Right. Is even if they were radical in some ways, right. uh, it's more like the Japanese than than the World yeah, War. Yeah, there's, the there's a holy fervor to this. Yeah, yeah. and they yeah. even. And I, I was, you know, one of my colleagues was saying, why now? What's the timing? And there's reasons why Iran might be doing this right now. Um, but what, I, I think that's helpful. I think that's helpful. You what wanna, to ask the why now question. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit of the Saudi Arabia connection there? Yeah, I do. I think, I think there's, a, I think there's, that seems to be driving a lot of this. And I don't know that we all know exactly why Iran, they've got, they've got cards they haven't showed us yet, whether yeah. that's race to nuclear weapon. I think the big story that no one's, not a lot of people are talking about is Iraq. Um, and I think there's a reason why they might be doing this to cinch their control of Iraq. And I think there's reasons why that might matter to their future. I think there's another, there's not just before we jump into that, I think there's one which you've seen bubble up inside um, inside Hamas was what's been going on at the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is a holy yes, site. Yes, yes, yes. And Israel has been, you know, sort of violating the traditional role that they have, which is they stay out of Al-Aqsa Mosque. But over the last couple of years, they've been sort of encroaching in there. They beat up some Muslims not too long ago, I guess right. in April. right. Um, there's some more radical Jews groups saying it's time to take Al-Aqsa back. Yeah. So they're calling some of these invasions Al-Aqsa invasion. So they're, yes. they're, they're obviously concerned about that. So I think that's important. So I think all of that plays into the timing as well. But then, then why Iran? And I think that's a, that's a good question. I, I think there's been a lot of speculation about why Iran wants to do this. And I think you raised the one there, which is the Saudi Arabia question, yeah. which if you've watched the news and I tell students and, and, I'll, and you, can, you can disagree with me on this, Dr. Draper, which is fine. But I, I do think, and I've said this before, I think Israel's been a sideshow for a long time. Hmm. I think Israel will continue to be a sideshow because I think the big contest is going to be between Sunni states and the only Shia state we've had since the Fatimids, for heaven's sake, mm -hmm. who've had any major influence in the Middle East since yeah. 1979, right. now are a growing power. And for the first time, the Sunnis, ever since Saladin, you now have a Sunni power that feels like they could be swamped by a Shia power yeah. that's receiving aid from Russia and other places, Correct. they might have the wherewithal. Saddam's gone, right? There were Ba'athists. He was the blocker. Yeah, he was the blocker. And Iraq is 60% Shia. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Well, and not to mention, you know, even going back to other Sunni dictators like Gaddafi right. was knocked right. off. Right. And a lot of these people Kamal Abdel Nasser, who was... Exactly. Who was, yeah. So you're right. It's It's... That that may, so yeah so there was a there's this conversation that was happening right that Saudi Arabia was trying to have relations with Israel right. America was trying to broker that and one of the arguments being Iran it used its proxies to throw a spanner in the in the works as it were right right uh, and what do you think the impact of that's going to be if that's where this goes does that does Saudi pull out does that's, Saudi that's, really that's the that's what they're banking on yeah. right I mean you're banking on the Israelis looking so bad that mm -hmm. they couldn't. Saudi do it. can't hold. Now yeah, the other yeah. the other thing, is, and this is going to sound really strange to people who, if they don't see this connection, but Saudi Arabia and, and, and Yemen and other, they've really been playing a very different game with the West. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to go to sports. Okay. Uh, they have invested a lot of money in sports. Uh, they started their own golf league, right, uh, right. Live Golf, and to compete with the PGA, right. uh, and eventually absorb the PGA. Uh, they uh, they sponsor teams in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, I watch cycling. You'll always see Emirates, and you know, so you'll you'll see some of this Saudi money mm. being used to kind of put a different picture mm. <laughs> to the West. Mm. 
on who they are. Right. So is there a sense of, and there has been some conversation that they could see even uh, sports business people talking about this, that mm. is this how Saudi Arabia is trying to cozy up to the West in mm. some way? And it's very interesting when, when Live Golf and the PGA merged, the group of people who was most outraged by this uh, not least of all people like Tiger Woods who <laughs> turned down money from the Saudis to join that, uh, but were 9-11 family survivors. Interesting. Uh, right. Because they said, you know, you they were behind this right. in, in some way through yeah. Wahhabism right. and that type of thing, and they, they really saw us. So it, it, there does seem to be something Saudi Arabia has been doing as a nation mm-hmm. in a multiple ways to as you said, become a little more friendly to the West. Is it because they are afraid of what they're seeing in with the Sun, the Shia? Great question. Yeah. But I mean, so it's weird that the politics and the geopolitical world sure. that how Westerns, I mean, the Premier League, yeah. right? That's like the Saudis buying the Giants right. in the NFL. Right. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and so we are seeing that and we're seeing some of the tension in the West with that. Um, so is there this thing going on with the West, with Saudis that they are trying to yeah. cozy up to the West? We are, we will cozy up to Israel because in the big scheme of things, they're more advanced technologically yeah. than Iran and some yeah. other Sunni nations. Right. And we're going to, you know, play our cards there. Yeah. And I think, too, Saudi Arabia is always in a tough spot in the Islamic world because of what they house. Mm-hmm. They house the two two of the oh, holiest yeah. places right. in all of Islam, right. uh, and Pal and then of course Palestine, Israel the third. Yeah. But so therefore, everything they do is held under a different level of scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, even going back to the Gulf War in '91, there were Muslims who were outraged that yeah. they allowed Americans on the in the country. Like, how yeah. dare the Western infidels be so close yeah, yeah, to yeah. the Kaaba? So I, I think that's yeah. another part of this too, right? That they're they're yeah. always in a tough spot. I think that's true, and I think I think if I you know if you look at the the long history of Islam, um, you know from Muhammad and Muhammad's death and the rise of the Rashidun Caliphate, as sort of the architecture for how the Caliphates and we're not talking Caliphate just yet. I mean that was the certainly the sure. you know um, ISIS or ISIL, but but there's always been this tension inside the Islamic world between um, Arabic Islamic powers that become political and bureaucratic. Yeah. And then those that are really hyper-religious. And right. so I, I often talk to students about the tension, knowing the history between the Umiyyads, which were the first power to take over at the Rashidun, who became very political. Secular is not the right word, but they use religion to their political advantage. Mm-hmm. And then out of Baghdad comes this other group who called themselves the Abbasid Caliphate, who saw religion and, and proper religion. And that was the golden age of, of Islam, really, right. during the Abbasids. You're right? talking the 8th century, Faroese. 100 years after Muhammad. Yeah, this is, this is very close afterwards. And this became a major critical point, that, that one, of these, one of these chooses bureaucracy and governmental leadership, sort of like a gamble after Nasser that we see in the 1950s and the yeah. rise of the Arab state as a modernized version that protects. And, and this idea that they use modern power and influence to hold together and protect their religious church and culture inside. Wahhabists, who are more radical versions of Islam, more Islamist in that regard, have never been comfortable with that with that equation. Yeah. But Saudi Arabia pays them a fair amount of money, protects yep. the madrasas, and they continue. Yeah. But there's been another group under this Abbasid model, which is you need to return to proper worship and true religion. Yeah. yeah. And that has to be the architecture of anything governmental. So if you're going to compromise governmentally with the West, you're at odds yes. with true Islam. Yes, yes, yes. And I think that's where... These radical, we say, I don't like radical groups being quite right. I, I think of them as Islamists, but that's just, you know, 
potato, potato. But the Islamist organizations see that as a compromise of the true faith. Yes. And I, this, is, this has been a tension in Islam since Muhammad, really. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. just a Sunni-Shia problem because there are right. Shia that will follow the Ayatollah into a more radical view of this or a more Islamist view. Yep. And there are Shia that do not. Right. And there are Sunni that do and do not. So, right. th so let's, let's turn this into a three-dimensional chart. We've mm -hmm. not only got the Sunni-Shia problem, but inside both these organizations, we have these Hamas on the one side, Saudi on the problem. We've got Shia groups that are both radical, yep. like Hezbollah, and right now the Ayatollah. Um, and then you've got other Shia groups inside. And of if Iran. you can add a fourth dimension, you'll have Hamas, Sunni, willing to play with the Shia, Iran. Well, well. So this is where the chart, that three-dimensional chart, becomes really convoluted. Is and this, I think, a lot of viewers who kind of have some awareness of this are saying this feels like a new era. Is that you've got Sunni groups now who are usually very much against Shia, especially highly religious organizations like Hamas. But Hezbollah is Shia, and they've always sort of played the line on this. So I don't. This entirely new. I don't want to say this is like yeah. out of nowhere. But you're seeing more of a connection between some of these Sunni groups and the Shia mm -hmm. because they agree on that third dimension line, yep. which yep. is we believe that this has to be done now militantly and by jihad in yep. order for Allah to return or there's disagreement on what exactly happens. That, that is important, I think, because this is where Saudi Arabia finds itself trapped now. Yep. It has this Wahhabist organization. Yep. Where are they going to go? Yeah, yeah. Are, 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 you, yeah. are they so Sunni that they won't? Yeah. Or, and so I think Saudi's playing a really dangerous game right now. Yeah. And I think what they need to highlight, which is how the Houthi come into this in Yemen, they need to highlight that this is a Shia conspiracy. So their bureaucratic Sunnism is a much better hold on the truth than the radicals because yeah. this is just a front for Iran. Yeah. So like it just all of this is starting to play out, and I think what's starting to happen now is all of these dimensions, right, which have been hidden underground, yep. Sunni playing, and the West doesn't really all. understand. I don't think we do, right? This is this is Samuel Huntington's thesis, yeah. right, with the West right. class of civilizations, right? Right. right. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think I think we have to come to grips with the fact that what whoever wins this or the tensions that are brought out are really going to exacerbate centuries-old tensions. These are not new. This is yeah. not just Israel controlling the West Bank. That's a problem too, and that's worth talking about. But these are long problems in the Middle East and tensions. And this is just another opportunity for those tensions to sort of rise to the surface. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know in the, what I say in the, in the tension in the Middle East between the bureaucratic state, which seems to be a little more modernized with religion under it, or the religious state, which tends to be a little less modernized, yeah. which is, a, which is a, you know, a religious movement with a state underneath it. Those are two options. Seem to be the two poles that we swing between. And I think this is what like Arab Spring swung between these, right? Oh, yes. this is all about reform. Wait a minute, this is just putting the Muslim Brotherhood in that's power. Right, that's Egypt, right, that's right. We right. don't, between these two, I think what the West needs to stop thinking is which one of these is the democratic view? Yes, or <laughs> that one of them is going to have a Protestant Reformation. Right. Yeah, one, one of them is going to have an Enlightenment and a Reformation yeah. Yeah. and a yeah. Renaissance. Yeah. That's not the choices that right. are being offered here. Right, um, right. And I, and I think this is where we, oversimplistically on Fox News or CNN, oh, this is, you know, we got to put down these because Muslims are looking for some sort of more modern Western you know, hold on the world where they can bring in, you know, constitutionalism. Well, and there's there's a problem in, in at least, say, American diplomacy historically, uh, is this idea that there everyone's, uh, every nationality is really just an American right, waiting right, to get out. Right, right, yeah, and, right. And, and in some cases, I think that was our mistake in Iraq. Sure. Uh, to think, okay, great, everybody's got blue thumbs. They That's must right. be, We've luckily have now, right. And, 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 and that's, that's always been a trip up right. for American exceptionalism right. in, in, in foreign policy. Um, but let, let, let's, let's, let, me, let me throw something else into this that is probably a quagmire. But um, you're looking at this, you're looking at this and saying, yeah, well, why is Israel even there? Right. 
you know, what about these poor Palestinians in 1948? They're sitting there just doing their thing. And next thing you know, right. England says, surprise, uh, <laughs> You're now two we've states. just emptied out all the DP camps from Europe and here's your Jewish people. Right. Um, is that a fair story is that a caricature what, what do you yeah what do you say? Uh, yeah that's 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 right one of the one of the great questions in the middle of all of this is what does that even mean and i think there's two again multiple levels on this in one sense that is true um jews looking for a way out and that's where the flood comes from world war one through the end of world yep. war two right? yep. and, they're, they're and the dreyfus affair and the dreyfus affair right which yep. is driving and the pogroms that are like terrifying then the holocaust yes. all this plays out yes. so there's a human story there, yep. right? That is not necessarily politics. How do these Jews, where do they go? Yep. They decide we're never doing Europe again. Right. We're going somewhere else. So I think that's an important story. And and they did live, you know, peacefully there for a time. Yep. Um, they got along with Palestinians quite fine. The question is once they become a nation, right. does that make them And then even after the diaspora enemies? with Bar Kokhba, there were still Jews who lived yeah, in the area. Yeah, they've been around yeah. for a yeah. while, right? They've never left in one sense, but they've been a much, they've been a small part of the population Correct. until all of these from the Elias in the 1880s and 90s. Right. Where and flooding the there, it would seem, right, and all this kind of thing. Um, so, that, so that's one story, and, and whether they become a nation for their own protection. The other part of this that people forget, and, and this, is, this is, I mean, even, even Rashid Khalidi, um, who was the sort of one of the early founding voices of this idea, Palestine is not a place. <laughs> Palestinians aren't a thing, and I don't no. mean that to denigrate the people that are there, right. but the, even Turkey, even the even the, um, the Ottomans did not recognize a Palestine. As a matter of fact, this was the big debate going on in England um, in the you know after the World War One when they're trying to figure out what to do yeah. with all these places. We'll call this Jordan. We'll call this Syria. What do you call that in this middle thing called Palestine? Well, there isn't anything. Yeah. So they went back to the Ottoman records. The Ottoman didn't even call it a governing district. What the Palestine really is is a holy city, where. The east side is owned by Jordan, the north side by Syria, and the southwest side, southwest side by Egypt. And even after 1948, the Palestinian claim was not important to the Arab populations around. And them. that's around the time too where it becomes Transjordan. Well, it was always Transjordan, yeah. and they claimed it was Transjordan, and the right. Jordanians wanted it. And so the early wars, up until 67 and shortly afterwards, were not the Palestinians fighting for control of the land. It was Jordan, Egypt, and Syria Correct. fighting for what they used to have, and they yeah. were what they felt they should have. So we get to this place now where we say, well, this is an obvious war between the Israel, the Jews, and the people called Palestinians. That's not the case. That's yeah. a modern problem. And I don't think other Arabic powers from Egypt's, Egypt's rise in the 1950s until now, they've ever seen this as, oh, this is the Palestinian lands. I think you have to say that because you need to be against Israel. <laughs> I don't think Jordan well, cares about that. It, I'm not sure Syria cares about there's that. There's an interesting thing that, that, that I think you see in this. And and these are, these are scholars of, of this period, uh, would say that in the Arabic world, Palestinians aren't liked either. Right. Uh, they're, they're looked down upon. Yeah. Uh, so it's, no, not it's not as if yeah. nations around the world are saying, oh, come home, you know, come to Egypt, right. come to Jordan, come to here. They, they don't want them. Yeah. Um, and, and even in the, the debate with Egypt right now over letting Palestinians out of Gaza, they're like, no, yeah. no, yeah. no, no, because we know what's going to happen. Yeah. We're stuck with them. Yeah. Israel will just put in some new developments in there and that'll be it. Well, not, not only that, Mark, but if you look at the history of Palestinians, they've been as much at war with the local neighbors they've been with Israel, right? So if, you know, if you go back to the 60s, um, after 67 really was a big turning point where Egypt bailed out of the, like, the three wars that were up through 73. But all those wars were led by Egypt and Syria. Right. That, that was right. World War. 
Palestinian people were trapped in between. Right. After that point, the PLO and Yasser Arafat actually went to war with Jordan, went to war with Lebanon. They didn't go to war with Egypt because they didn't think that was wise. But they have been as much against the other Arabic powers as they've been against Israel. Yes, yes. Right now, they got funds from these people because they were the only ones willing to fight Israel. And at that point, after enough loss, the other Arab powers were like, we're, we're done with this. Right? Yeah. We're not going to well, get Well, when they wipe out your Air Force in a week. Yeah. It's not worth it, right? So send money to Yasser Arafat. But we make the mistake of thinking that the Palestinian people are the darlings of the Arab world. Yes. No, no. Right. They're, they're not. not. They're no. not. No. no, they're not. And who retained? You know, not that Israel's not to blame. And that's, that's again, that's a whole other thing we're talking about. Yeah. But all of these camps where these, Isla- where these Palestinian states, some of them were on Egyptian, Syrian, and Jordanian soil. Yes, yes. But they didn't do anything about it either because they didn't know what, they didn't want the influx of Palestinians. I mean, Yasser Arafat assassinated the prime minister of Jordan in 1971. Right. For right. heaven's sake. Um, and then led the civil war against the against the um, um, uh, the, the Christian regime in Lebanon. Right. So, I, I think I think you know that we can easily turn this into a war of democracy on one side or the other. We can easily simplify that the Palestinians are just fighting for their freedoms. And I think there's that's true to a degree. Yeah, I think the Palestinians want to form this new identity of a Palestinian people. Yeah, but to imagine that that's how the Middle East sees the problem, I think, is mistaken. No, no, and and I think the. What we are seeing too is there's a there there seems to be some sort of latent anti-Jewishness right. in at parts of the Islamic world yeah, where right. this is easily fueled, yep. right? And, and and some of that could be theological, some of that could be how much is it? And that's, and I'll ask you that because yeah. I think here here's a come and you can you can wax on this if you want in 1948 yeah. and that being how and I think this is again where maybe our Christianity or premillennials gotten in our way. We see Israel as a Jewish religious state. Does, don't the Middle East just see this as a Western state? I mean, isn't this planting English Jewry and European Jewry? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, in one hand, yes. It's, it's a, so what, what I would say is having spoken with um, Islamic scholars, one of the things that in these conversations they've said to me is, you know, Europe had a Jewish problem. <laughs> right. You created, they created a problem, right? right? They created an environment for pogroms. Mm-hmm. They threw Jews out of England, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Uh, Spanish Inquisition, pogroms. And then created a culture in Europe that could produce mm-hmm. the Holocaust. And then you don't know what to do with them. So you drop them off here. Right. So this was your problem. Yeah. And now you've made it our problem. Okay, that's, that's an issue. I, I, I will say this, though. I think... In Islam, there is something different about Islam. Islam, I think, is truly a, 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 um, a secessionist faith in this regard, uh, where Christianity sees themselves being birthed out of Judaism, mm. right? We are the fulfillment of Judaism, mm. right? We, the, the, the last story we hear from Jesus mm. is the whole Old Testament's about me. Okay. Where Islam really has more of a sense that their story, their redemptive history story, is that the Jews had it and rejected it. Mm. They ruined it. Mm. You know, they killed their prophets. Mm. Uh, the Christians came along a little better, a little mm. better, but they got hung up on this whole prophet being God thing, yeah, right? right? And too, that's too not monotheism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so when you look at Islam, yeah, right. you know, they're willing to keep Jesus in a very high view. Uh, in fact, I would say I've met Muslims who have a higher view of Jesus than some mainline <laughs> Protestants. Seriously, seriously. Yeah, I'm not true. joking about that. Yeah. Um, I, I have spoken to Muslims who have been offended <laughs> by oh, how some yeah. mainline Christians refer to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one point someone told me, you need a higher Christology than that to be Muslim. <laughs> right. Okay. 
So, um, so, but I do think there's something in Islam, the way it, it kind of comes out is that, you know, we're the ones getting it right, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we're the ones that have finally gotten it right. right. And these groups got it wrong. Right. Um, and, You're right. They succeed. And, and they it's a succeed. succession from that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Where, where Christians can do the same thing. I think Christians can do that. I think that births some of the anti-Semitism. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember. Jews I can remember. Jesus, I remember as a kid hearing kids yell that at Jewish people in my neighborhood. You killed, you killed Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so if the... The Catholic kids came running through the neighborhood. They'd be right. yelling, you bunch of Jesus killers. So that was in the 1980s, Dan. Right, right? right. So, But one of the things in our holy book, Paul calls us out on that and says, remember, mm. you're grafted into their vine. Right. And so. It's not a succession model, is it? That's it's not. not. Right. It's not. It's a, now, of course, you know, we can talk about other stories about people thinking of the new Israel and right, right. that kind of thing. But. There is something in Christianity where you can take on that posture, but I believe our text should pull you out of that. Yeah, right. Where Islam, it's a little different. Yeah. It's a little different. There's a sense of these groups messed up. Yeah. Uh, they're people of the book. Right. Um, and, and I think Jews and Christians can live in the Islamic world at one time and not be a problem. Sure. Because they're not a threat. But once they become a threat, now the people of the book are a threat. And then you throw in Sounds the eschatology. Like you yeah. Correct. I mean, exactly. And, and I think this is the other thing. Muslims believe they are part of the Christian Muslim or Jewish narrative. The, the Jews book. and Christians don't think they are. That's right. Right. So the Jews look at the Christians, I think, and, and an Orthodox Jew might look at a Christian and think well, they're a little mashugana. You know, they're a little hung up on this Jesus thing, right. right? He's a good guy. He's a rabbi. He's a prophet, but oh, yeah, he's not God. Too far. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, Islam, no, like that's going in like a very different space. Right. Uh, so, and Christians don't necessarily, Orthodox Christians, Nicene Christians would not look at Islam and say, oh, yes, they're we're brothers. We're, we're cousins. We're distant cousins here, yeah. Uh, you know, this idea that we're all Abrahamic brothers, I mean, that might be from within the groups, yeah. particularly Christianity and, and a more Orthodox Jews, I think in a more progressive Judaism that has a more ecumenical mm -hmm. understanding, mm -hmm. it's different. Uh, having been at some interfaith conversations and been part of them. Uh, but the, um, but I think, so I think there's something there just mm. in the theology itself as mm. this, or we've succeeded this. And again, some of the, some of the ways anti-Semitism was birthed within the church was part of that, right? Yeah, you right. killed Jesus, you da, 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 da. And obviously, people are not reading Paul seriously yeah, when yeah. Paul says, "Remember, you're grafted into right. their into their." Well, vine. I think yeah, you, know, you say that's a good point. I think that the you know around the Crusades and other times when we see this, there may have been some eschatological yes. views also, right? Yes, it's around the year thousand, and there's some fear we you know we compromising. I think that's where you see the Spanish Inquisition. You know, this is a we have to restore the church, and this yeah. becomes the main threat of it somehow. I guess I guess Dr. Draper, the question comes now is. As we watch, you know, the, the attack and counterattack, you got the Hamas has, has come in and done something hard, and now Israel is now fighting back. As a Christian, do we take sides? Yeah. And, and or, or how do we make judgments about this? Because yeah. I, 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 I think the atrocity of it and even the death on all sides is going to mean we're going to have to take sides somehow. Yeah. Not maybe it's a cold all this, all that, but we have to call out evil where we see it. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I, and I want to say here as we're talking, I don't think, what we're going to say is there's a quick calculus for how to do this, right? No. I mean, there's a lot of complicating factors all the way from for all of Israel's failures, it's still something of a democratic law, law uh, rule of law society. Yeah. Palestinians do have a voice. It's not, you know, 
But at the same time, they've not been careful about how they've tra- treated, you know, whether and Israel it's could never be truly or, a pluralistic state. No, they wouldn't be. By constitutional right, they're not going to be. Because then they could not be the safety valve. Right, right. For Jewish people, if right. another Holocaust happened. Yeah, the basic laws, 1948, do, do allow Palestinians to have political parties in the Knesset, but they can't have a majority. And that, that they could be the majority population in Israel, yeah. but they still will not be allowed to have a majority Correct. in the Knesset. So in that right. regard, they're not completely democratic. No, no, not completely. But compared to other Arabic powers, they are. I mean, they're more democratic than most of the powers in the Middle East. Correct. And they have some form that Europeans would agree with on human rights, yes. even though they violate those things. Yes. So that makes it complicated. But at the same time, there are, and it's not hard to find this, you know, thoughtless injustices against the Palestinian people. We can leave Gaza out of it for now for the complexity of that. But, you know, the settlement idea in the West Bank where they roll in and they move people out and they take land over, I think probably one of the most, most problematic historically um, difficulties is that when the Jews did take over in the Middle East, they did so somewhat by legal means by buying up land um, and then living on it, allowing the Palestinians to survive there for a time, but eventually removing them. And I think what um, what Westerners like European Jews see is land as a commodity to be bought and sold. Mm-hmm. Arabs don't see it that way. That land is inherited. That belongs to their identity. So to remove an Arab who's been there for centuries from that land mm-hmm. is to remove his soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're removing part of him. Yeah. And so, you know, while, while we can say, well, it was legal, yeah. it was legal in a lot of cases, even if the UN can decide it. But that doesn't mean for the Arabic people that were removed, the Palestinians, that that was just a cold, hard, a cold legal decision. Correct. This was very crucial to who they were. So... While you can say legally it's not an injustice to the people it was, right? Yeah. So they've been removed and they want that land back and they're not going to be satisfied until they do because it, their soul was ripped out of them yeah. right? who they are. So I guess the question, Dr. Draper, we always try to land these things in is how is the Christian supposed to approach this? Like yeah. what? Give us some guide rails mm. for how we're supposed to look at this now. Maybe it's just to ask more questions and try to learn. But how do we, how do we react to these things? How do, we, how do we look at them and respond? Yeah. Uh, so uh, even listening to some of the talking heads on this, I think uh, there's this idea that you know Hamas is a terrorist organization, right? This is not a like you said, it's not a political organization. Yeah. This is a religious right. organization with a certain amount of zeal that exists. Its existence is predicated on the annihilation of. <laughs> no, Israel. it is. It's in the constitution. Exactly. Right? I mean, so it, yeah. you can't negotiate. No, that, it's not negotiating. All right, so that's problematic. Um, I, I would say I would have less concern with the Palestinians uh, of Gaza leading some sort of military attack on Israel. Mm-hmm. Like, we're taking back our settlements. Right, right. Uh, but when you're machine gunning babies... Right. It's moral equivocation to say, hey, this is a political... It's decolonization, yeah. Dr. Draper. It's just decolonization. Yeah. Anti-colonization. And... and and again, and I said this to our students, I said part of the issue is this. Modern warfare, the way it's done with drones and lasers, it looks cleaner. Yeah. Uh, the results are the same. Yeah, that's right. You know, so in some ways, Israel could bomb a Hamas spot and babies are killed. Yeah. Because they're hiding under a hospital. Right. Um, don't bring up the hospital right now. That's a well, no, I mean, there. it could be anything. Right? I know what you mean. Yeah, I just don't want viewers to... No, 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 no. I mean, it, it could be anything because the the the, the, the Hamas is willing right. to right. use their people as right. shields in that way. Right. And lots of powers have done that. True. Um, but, 
So I, I think at some point, I do agree, Israel has to address this space. Yeah. And the talking heads are, are saying, well, okay, yes, we're gonna, we think you have a right to go after Hamas, uh, even President Biden and, and, and as sure. that. But then they really want to lean on Bibi Netanyahu yeah. and say, you have to have a two-state solution. Yeah. And, and so this is the other component that we haven't talked about yet, is that even Bibi has been moving to the right. Yeah, that's true. Which is hard to say, though. He's moving to the right. He's moving more with Zionists. He tried to go after the Supreme Court. So there's concerns there, right? So within Israel, there was concern about the democratic system you just talked about. uh, And was that under attack? So for the West, let's say America, to negotiate this is, one, we side with Israel. You can see this because it's their 9-11. Got it. On the other hand, once you've eradicated Hamas, yeah. you have two two things you have to deal with. One, what are you going to do with Gaza? Yeah. And two, how are you going to have a two-state solution? Yeah. Because that's what's going to solve this. Yeah. Uh, so they think. Well, and that's true. And I, when I usually teach Arab Israeli conflict, I ask the students at the end to tell me in just a few pages whether it's a one, two, or three-state solution. Yeah. And I tell them, you're going to be wrong. It's not going to work. But tell me your arguments. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. What I've heard from some of the talking heads that I, I listen to has said this killed the two-state solution forever, right? Now, the one thing I'll say about Israel, if you watch their politics over time, is they, they've got a range of parties right and left, and it's not like we are right and left. It's different. They're right. Uh, you know, further right you go, less rights for Arabs and more um, Zionism, if you would say that, or even poli- not even religious Zionism. It's just Israel and Jews only. If you go more to the left, it's almost like we should do open democracy, and if the Arabs win, let them have it. Almost yes, like a, right. So that right and left, and what you see is the center of Jewish politics tends to swing based on external circumstances, right? So in the Lebanese war in the early 1980s, when Israel obviously overstepped its bounds, all of a sudden you saw the center of Israeli politics shift to the left and want to open up rights for Arabs and, and apologize. As you get invasions at Intifada, all of a sudden Netanyahu right becomes more important than the right wing side yeah. where it's less right. So that swing, I don't think, is a, is a fixed thing. Right. At least it hasn't been thus far. And I don't think this changes anything. I mean, even, even after the 1967 war, Yom Kippur, you still saw that as things changed, still the center of Israel switched back and forth like a right. pendulum. My guess is that it's going to be pretty clear that Israel is going to shift pretty strong right for, for the next foreseeable future. At on this, least right? in the combat. Well, I think politics, right? They're going to vote in. You're going to see coalitions more right win more votes now in the next couple of years. And that would even trouble America. It could, right, because that, that means more aggression towards Iran and all sorts of things. Yeah. Right or wrong, I don't know. We've got to think about that. But I think that'll happen. And if, and if history is any tell, it'll stay pretty firmly there. Israel will react and maybe overreact at some points. I'm not saying you could overreact to 14 innocent people being killed. I just mean they become more aggressive uh, nationally until a mistake becomes really large. And then the center, I think, shifts back a little left again. The argument I'm seeing from people now is that the pendulum is now stuck. It swung right, and it's going to lock down right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the case. Um, I, I guess we'll have to see how this plays out. Um, there have been other atrocities Israel's face where it hasn't locked into one side. So I guess I have to see that. But I, I think that the, where I'm concerned in all of this is whatever is happening now, which has always impacted larger scales, what's happening to Iran, Saudi Arabia, Iran, so that's all going to be impacted. But this one, because of the time it's happening, because of Putin, because of Russia, because of China, this thing is electric. Yeah, you're saying there's this, a global yeah, this power is electric, shift. Right. Yeah. This is, and, and I think we've all been waiting to see, you know, Putin's bogged down in Ukraine. It didn't get where he thought it was going to go. Maybe that's not the threat we thought it was. 
But now that we've seen this happen and Hamas is going to start being defended by Iran, Iran's defended by Russia and China, it's going to force these states to be much more vocal about where they stand. I think mm-hmm. before you could hide behind things, well, we don't stand with Russia, we just don't stand against them. That becomes a lot more difficult, I think, yeah. in the next couple of weeks and months as this thing escalates. So I think I think before this would have stayed not entirely localized, but I think this is electric in a way that we've not seen before. Well, we're a global society in a way we've never been. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and we're multipolar. Yeah. Right? I mean, it was always it was America with Russia quietly in the background. It's, we're multipolar now. This is China's hard for a power, Russia's a power. Because we're, we've grown yeah. up in a bipolar world, mm-hmm. right? And it's multipolar. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is this, and I... I I, as a historian, I always come back to this. Wars change people. Oh, my. The things you thought change were states. impossible before a That's war right. become very possible That's after exactly a right. war. Well, we just look at our own country. Yep. Um, things that would have been unthinkable. Um, you know, I, I cannot uh, divorce myself from the idea that, you know, women's suffrage in America has a lot to do with World War One. Yeah, right. Uh, black suffrage, Civil War. Um, and then World War Two. And World well, War II. 1960s is a result. Exactly. I mean, II. just the fact the state of Israel exists is a World War II right. fallout. Okay, so if this thing gets hot, right. uh, people are willing, once there's enough carnage, yeah. people are willing to negotiate in ways they wouldn't negotiate. It's yeah. an awful thing to say. Yeah. yeah. But I think one of the scariest things about a war, if you're serious and you understand this, is you will never be the same afterwards. Yeah, that's right. Regardless of what happens, you will never be the same person you were before it started. Careful what you ask for, in other words. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way with COVID. I always say, you know, there's going to be B.C. and A.C. Right. Right. right, right. Um, But any sort of traumatic event like that, whether it's localized, national, international, the world is never the same place again. Right. Uh, And so, therefore, to, to say something stuck there... I, I can't say that yeah. because history tells me wars have a way of unsticking yeah. jammed gears. Yeah. Um, Maybe not in ways you want. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, and that goes back to what what General Eisenhower talked about, right? When when uh, he talked about Normandy and how you can train and train and train. But once the first bullet's fired, this thing takes on a life yeah, of its own. Right. And it's how you manage it. And there's things like the fog of war and and so and and there's compromise. And so, uh, again, I think uh, there there are some people probably in certain corners of the Internet are hoping this is just a good rowdy down and we can just get to Armageddon. (laughs) And that's what's scarier about this. No one's looking at Ukraine and Russia saying, "Ooh, Armageddon could be around the corner. Uh, But like I said, every time someone in the Middle East has indigestion, Right. You have certain religious groups who think, ah, we're here. Right, right. And this is what we've been waiting for. That's right. The, the other thing I, I'm, I'm can I most... Can I just add one yeah, thing? Yeah, go ahead. I, sure. I'm not going to take long because I wanted to get to your next point there. But I do think you're right about that. And I think what we're seeing now is a secular fundamentalism. Yeah. Right, that is wanting to see this as the time where wokeness finally wins. And yeah. where the oppressor is pushed off in Israel, which uh, ignites oppressors oppressed everywhere around the world. So I think you're right. There is religious groups that are pouring a lot of value into this. I think there's a lot of progressive or woke organizations or groups that are pouring a lot of their own quote-unquote theological weight into this and turning it into, I don't know what, a, a spiritual warfare of some sort, mm. like a social, political, spiritual warfare, where if the oppressed can win here, it's almost like people looking back to the French Revolution going, yeah. that was the beginning of this whole you know wonderful <laughs> So it's funny you say that because I'm not sure 
secular humanism has the intellectual firepower to hold up to Islam. Yeah, right. No, I think you're right. Because what I mean, what I mean by that is it's 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 very this worldly. It's it's now again, you could someone could push back at me and say, well, Marxist did. Okay, Uh, but. I am curious of how the Western world yeah. as a more secular place deals yeah. with this. The The other thing we haven't even talked about, and it's worth just mentioning, um, and, and I saw this when I was in Paris in 2020, um, is how this affects Europe. Mm-hmm. There are large Islamic populations moving into sure. Western Europe, former colonies, right. and it's changing the dynamics in those places. In fact, right after some of this started, there was an Islamic terrorist who shot some people at a soccer game in Belgium. Yeah. Um, so this could have a certain trickle effect right. in ways because I think what's happening in some of these European nations is the, is the Muslims feel oppressed. Yeah. They, they're they not integrated into the society. Right. And so it was interesting when I was walking around Paris, you, could, you just knew when you were in the Islamic neighborhood. Mm. Uh, it was very interesting. We're walking around, walking with a friend of mine, and all of a sudden... Uh, you'd cross a block and everybody's black. Everybody's black. It just, it's not an integrated society. It's no, no. And then you, you know, you walk over to it's another area and, and everybody's brown. Too, yeah. And then you go to the tourist area, and of course, you know, it's 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 everyone who's Parisian, right? <laughs> right, right. It's the Marais. But uh, so, in other words, to see that the fact mm. that we didn't stay in the fancy, we stayed a little outside of the fancy spot, we could actually see some of the demographic mm. shifts. Mm. What does that do there? That's a great point. Great question. What that's been that... a crisis in the middle in the in Europe for a while. Yeah. But it's remained largely calm because it's been localized. Yeah. I mean, except for in England. Here's a, here's a thought that should just, as someone who knows the Reformation, should just make your head spin. There's a halal butcher across the street from from yeah, right. Luther's church. Right. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. In, in in Wittenberg. Yeah. Right. There is a halal butcher in Wittenberg. Yeah. Like those two, that sentence shouldn't even yeah, go together, right? Sense, when you yeah. know the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's my, that's the other thing I think that we haven't even talked yeah, about and right. no one even has mentioned it is Europe is having its own sort of. Yeah, well that, you know, I hadn't thought about that connection. Maybe we shouldn't explore it because it's too, um, it's yeah, too much of a hypothetical. But yeah. certainly you, you could imagine Putin wanting things to escalate in the Middle East so that the it Islamic destabilizes, population right? is right. Destabilizing and it, because Europe. what if, 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 if... Which that could escalate rather rapidly if Europe sees that or if, the, if some of these populations in Europe actually go along that and take maybe Putin's support or maybe what's going on in the Middle East as, as an opportunity uh, to right, push right. back against... Well, and this goes back, we'll European go full society. circle here. I mean, even the way some of these groups are communicating are in these sort of back-channel internet spaces yeah. and, and chat spaces that like a WhatsApp that has a certain decoding and stuff, or it's encrypted in a certain way. But the, the one thing that it was sort of official Soviet policy, right, was a disinformation campaign. Yeah. And this was with good old-fashioned newspapers. Yeah. Um, so there is something in that Chinese-Russian yeah. work against the yeah. West to destable it through information yeah. or disinformation. Could you do the same thing yeah. with a Hamas? Could you support a Hamas yeah. with bots and stuff like that? I mean, so the, the, we're at a left point of warfare, yeah. the, a sort of a propaganda information warfare where, like, you know, we're long past the day of dropping propaganda bombs mm-hmm. with with leaflets Wilson, popping Wilson up. Wilson shooting. Yeah. Wilson, yeah. That, that so, so I think thinking Christianly about points. this, I would say we need to be uh, wise as serpents on this one. But... Where I personally feel is okay. I this was a heinous attack, yeah, right? 
this was, uh, and I understand the history, I yeah. know the story, uh, and if you blew up a military base and this is a military thing. It's a different. It's a, yeah. So again, I think maybe uh, what Christians are wrestling with this need to read their Augustine and yeah, some seriously. just war theory. Right. Uh, right. No, I think that's wise. And I think I saw an article with this in it, um, and I can't remember because I, I glanced over it during the day, but it was civilization beats non-civilization. Yeah, week, right? yeah. And, so I, and I've, I've talked and said to say it's Christian in classes that, you know, two, two things you want to hold equally in this. And one is that there is no ideal solution here, right? That I yeah. think you want to avoid what the press is going to say because they've got it boiled down to their political neocon, go in there, Israel wipes this out, and boy, we can start from scratch. Yeah. Tabula rasa thing, we'll get this figured out. No. Um, let Hamas defeat the colonizer and we'll finally get progressive peace. No. Neither of these are messianic. Neither of these are going to solve the problem. Yeah. Right? And I think I think one thing I want to say to people is don't don't buy the ideological argument that there is a solution here that's going to solve this wholesale. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think because if you buy that, then anyone who doesn't agree with you is just an idiot, right? Just how the press wants to solve it. On the other side, we actually, and I think this is where wisdom matters, as we're negotiating in the city of man, wisdom matters and being pragmatic. And that's a terrible thing, I think, usually to say, except yeah. I mean by this. Since I'm not investing in either one of these with absolute power and yeah. rightness, I have responsibility pragmatic and go, I think in this case, this military operation might in fact be good because we need to end up with a result that's peaceful. Mm -hmm. right? And I think we have to agree that Christians, it's okay because it's pragmatic in that regard to not know exactly how we're going to land on this. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing, and I think this is where we've made a mistake, and I'd say in the modern times, mm. the 20th century, is we have turned the complex world of wisdom and right into an absolute moral ethic. Yes, there, It's only American Cold War, everything else is evil, gets you a Vietnam. Um, only progressive is right, and Kruntzer is going to get us Hamas, right? I think we have to, as Christians, we just don't have the freedom to lock down on a simple solution. We're going to have to be pragmatic about this and say, you know what, as ugly as this is, the calculus is, I think actually this needs to be stopped and maybe an Israel offensive is going to, or I think that, and we're mm -hmm. going to have to debate that point. And I'm hoping Christians listening don't take this again as another reason to split the Christian church over right, this, right? No, right. This is to come together and say, we all share that Christ is ahead until he returns, this ain't going to get solved. So let's, the yeah. poor will always be with you. We have to accept that to some degree. Now, how can we disagree and actually think preg think wisely about this um, and, and, not, and not get caught up in the one of these is the moral solution that's going to make all the sense in the world? Yeah. The, the other thing I think we have to be leery of is if you are in this uh, sort of eschatology war that you're talking about with Hamas, um, then what happened is just how it has to happen. Right. It's, it's not good or bad. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just what has to be done. Mm -hmm. The same thing can happen in a more progressive stance, right? Mm -hmm. Where the oppressor is never guilty of anything. That's right. Because they're, they're, they're I'm sorry, the oppressed the is never, never guilty right. of they're anything. They're always oppressed, right. And, and again, no one would say this per se because they don't get it, but they might imbibe it. There's also a Hegelian way of looking at Absolutely. this to say, well, this is just where the dialectic is. Right. Hamas, yeah, what Hamas just did is evil, but we need that we need to move it. the to right. move the dial. Right. Um, and therefore you give Hamas a pass. Right. Right. So where the Christian can't give that activity a pass, right. nor can it give indiscriminate bombing a pass. Right. right. And there's it's it's funny. The president keeps talking about, well, democracy is this, democracy is this, democracy is that. And I think, no, 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 Joe, it's Christians. <laughs> right. right? Like yeah. it, democracy doesn't necessarily no. mean you can't commit war crimes. It's our Western Christian right. tradition that sh that does that to right. us because 
as much as, you know, and we're, we're recording this in the middle of Lancaster County where we have brothers and sisters who don't believe Christians should take up arms at all. Right. But whether you take up arms or not, one thing the Christian always has to go back to is our Lord and Savior also said, turn the other cheek. Yeah. He also said the meek shall inherit the earth. He also said my kingdom is not of this world. Exactly. Yeah. And therefore, uh, random indiscriminate murder is never kosher. Never. Right. Um, as a Christian, uh, if you, you know, if you say, hey, this is the city of man, God put in militaries, God put in governments, it's my responsibility to be part of that. I can do that. And I think that's where Augustine worked out that, yeah. try to work out that negotiation. Right. Uh, when you're an underground church and you don't have any agency at all, it really doesn't matter. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's the check on this is that when we see people abusing the Imagio Day in others in heinous ways, yeah. our Christian antenna should go up. Right. Um, and again, there are times when there's really no, in the city of man, sometimes there's really no solution. Yeah, right. There's right. gradations. Right. Uh, there's a, or what Niebuhr would call approximate justice. Yeah, right. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is a good, healthy dose yeah. of Augustinian realism. No, I that think that's true. Need. And I think, I think the other thing that the modern West misses is that there's corporate answers that are helpful that aren't individually good, right? I mean, we, we yeah. want all justice to come down to an individual. But, and this is something that I think another conversation we're going to have around critical theory, we get back to that. But it's the idea that civilization is something worth protecting even at the cost of an individual at times. Yeah, right? And yeah. We, we can say that may not be true because we live with the benefits of a largely civilized West where we protect human rights and those kind of things. But yeah. civilization has to be maintained at some point too. And I think you know this is what we can get into issues about Constantine and whether or not there was a Christian Rome. I don't know what to do with Constantine at the moment, but I do know that the Christian has a reason. This is the same way I think that the prophets talked about Israel and Jews protecting the cities they were in even in exile. Yes. That we want to protect the civilized state. That that I think the on the opposite side of this you can say ultimately to protect an individual will burn everything down because it's injustice here. Yeah. You have to balance the, the right of the individual against civilization's difficult. It's hard to maintain. Um, it's costly to maintain, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's good for the people living in it. Mm -hmm. And I think however we think about what's going on in the Middle East, all the things you've raised there about how we Christians need to approach it. We also have this other dynamic to defend of we, we want to protect every individual life as the image of God. Yeah, yeah. We also have to protect civilization as the best way to continue doing that yeah. in the future. And there's, therefore, I think any Christian who is maybe very pro-Israel and says, you know, you know, pull Barry Goldwater and <laughs> nuke it back to the nuclear, the, the Stone Ages and let God sort it out. That's not yeah, the right fly. response. Right. And nor is, well, you know. The Jews had it coming to them. That's right. why we shot right. their babies. Right. Um, both are problematic yeah. in that Christian, and that's the negotiation. That's right. the tension point that a right. lot of, like we said, Christians don't like that. They want to solve it. Right. Um, and we're not. We're right. not going to, I think, like you said, we're not going to solve this. This is this is something that's with us. And again, I think the other piece we wrestle with as the West is uh, we don't get enchanted sand. Yeah. We don't get enchanted soil. But you said something very, I think it was a throwaway line, but I wrote it down because okay. I think it's very important. You talked about the eschatology in Islam where they believe it begin, the, 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 the cleansing begins in Palestine, hmm. in, in the holy land, in the third holiest place in there. That's right. That language of holy real estate, for American, even yeah. American Orthodox Christians, we don't talk like that. Yeah. We don't talk, a, we go back to Charles Taylor's disenchantment, right? Yeah, we don't yeah. have that kind of thinking. Yeah. And we don't know what to do with societies that do. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's, that's also another point. component to this, that yeah. 
when you kind of say God, God's going to do something with this soil, uh, whether it's yeah, Jesus has point. to literally sit on the throne in this place or uh, Messiah is coming back to the Temple Mount or Allah and the 12 Muhammad Imams coming back to whatever, yeah. When you're at that point, that's way more enchanted than Hitler's thousand year Reich. That's true. And, right. and that is, and I think that is something that I'm not even sure Huntington got at yeah. real well. But our Lewis, class I think, assembly. sort of got that. Yes, he right. did. Yes, yeah. he did. Right. But that's another component that we're not going to hear in our secular age mm. uh, because they don't know what to do with that. It, or it's just poppycock. Right. You know, like, just stop it. Right. Um, or that's, the, that's an excuse for what you really want is just liberalism or are you just looking for justice or to fight the oppressor. Yeah. And again, yeah. you reduce these very complex narratives down to things that make yeah. sense to us, which... Again, for, for those of our students or those listening, it's hard not to do that, but you want to take these on the terms that are that are as true as possible. Like the terms there can't be boiled down to this is just about, you know, stopping the oppressor. This is about holy land. You're right. Yeah. This is a holy it's war holy on a holy soil. land. Yeah, yeah and point. it's enchantment. It's, yep, it's, 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 it's Taylor's enchantment. Yep. Yep. And we don't get that. Yep. I mean, maybe our Catholic brothers get that a little better. Maybe. Catholic they, people, they're better Catholics than we would. and Greek Orthodox get that a little better, a better than we do up. with pilgrimages and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But Protestants, no, that's not part of the Protestant no, tradition. No, no, that that was all kind of yeah. We did away, away with that. We yeah. did, you we know, did. Yeah. So, well, I don't think we answered anything. We solved the problem. <laughs> but I, I, I do think I do think we we provided some framing and some background that a lot of people might not have gotten, right. and because they didn't read Bernard Lewis, right? Uh, and we yeah. worked through it. Good. Uh, so, uh, thank you very much yeah. for, for well, your thanks, time. Mark. This has been good.